And now the exciting part two of the replay of the Dave Woods interview that you loved so much. You insisted I show it twice, which I'm glad to do, so that's fine. And you heard it last week, so here's how it all finishes up. Enjoy. Bon appétit. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I'm your loving host, Todd Conklin. How in the heck are... I almost said a naughty word. Holy cow. I stopped myself right there at the end, though, where I'd have to put the red E on this episode. That'd be terrible. Well, you've had some soak time. What did you think about David Wood's part one? I'm really curious because it was really good. I mean, the history stuff I thought was super interesting. The real question is, is how did it make you think about what we do for a living. Because knowing that, that these guys sort of fought this battle, empirical battle, all the way through in the early days, I mean, I, I, I'm humbled by the fact that there was a time when not blaming the employee was really controversial. I mean, super controversial for everybody. And I, I just thought that did a really excellent job in sort of having that discussion. It's, uh, it's only going to be paled by this discussion. The second half. And, and this is a scholar who's looking forward. And he's going to start really at a pretty seminal moment in our world. And that is the introduction of Sidney Decker's book, The Field Guide to Understanding Human Air. And he gets into that field guide, but he very quickly moves sort of from why that field guide was so important and how it changed things at the, at the coalface into a, a, an interesting discussion around what he's thinking about now. One last thing. He's going to talk about this notion of graceful extensibility. That's kind of where he's going in his thinking. This is really good stuff. Listen carefully. Turn your little headphones up louder so the person next to you on the plane is thinking, what in the, holy cow. But listen, because not only does he talk about graceful extensibility, he defines it. And he explains where the terms come from. And what's interesting is where they come from make the term graceful extensibility make a ton of sense, a ton of sense. In fact, it's pretty brilliant. It's also where things are going. It's, it's how we build in capacity, extensibility. That's a, a term he'll define for us. How we build that capacity for our systems to manage really complexity and complexity as a motion. If you go with what James Barker talks about, how complexity moves, you see complexity as, as this motion and the idea that you can gracefully extend your systems to manage complexity, manage variability, manage off normal events. That's pretty sweet stuff. And that is how he's going to end this discussion. I really should shut up. I'm a little bit glowy, but this was a really good podcast, a re two really good podcasts. It, it's also a, a really kind of a special treat that we get to actually do this. He's not the easiest guy to coordinate and he's not the, you know, this, the, you have to kind of sort of work this one to get in there to make it happen. And that's exactly what we did. He was a treat. I want to thank him for doing it. I want to thank you too. Thanks for hanging out and listening to all this stuff. Tell me what you think on this one and have some people listen to it. This is David Woods part two. Listen carefully. Bon appétit.
Well, I left out the one thing I wanted to cover, though, was was how uh, how uh, the field guide came about. It's not too late. You want to talk about it? We can put it in. Uh, or you can put it in another one down the road. Sure. Right? What, whatever's better for you. I'm good. Well, if you want to turn it back on. Okay, it's on. One of the other things that happened in the 94 book was we needed to show people a way to escape hindsight bias. And so we laid out the, the simple uh, approach of uh, follow the knowledge, follow the mindset, follow the goal conflicts, right? How is knowledge brought to bear as the situation changes? Uh, how does mindset get formed, get stuck, get revised as things go on, right? Where do goals conflict and collide and how do people resolve those? And so it was simple. Follow the knowledge, follow the mindset, follow the goals. And we illustrated that with specific incidents. And so we thought it was pretty straightforward, but, and it was this idea you have to start, you know, not uh, with the accident and work backwards, but you had to start saying, what are the kinds of tasks that people are doing? What makes those things difficult? How do they usually make it work? You know, today we might say work is practiced or done, not work as imagined by policy and procedure and automation. Uh, and so when you took a forward-looking view to escape hindsight, you could recognize the conflicts, the difficulties, the ways those are usually resolved, so you could find ways to improve the complex system. Um, and so we thought that was a pretty good practical way to go. As it turned out, it was hard for people to take that uh, those that procedure, that way to approach escaping hindsight bias, and put it put it into action. So it was uh, it was uh, when Sidney Decker was studying with me. He went, "This, this is hard to understand. And it takes practice, and people learn it by working with you closely. We need to make this more accessible to people." And part of his uh, um, response to that was to go off a, a few years later and write the field guide uh, to human error investigation, which was trying to take and make it really uh, understandable and actionable for people to escape hindsight bias by taking this approach to building the scene on the road from the practitioner's viewpoint and seeing the dilemmas and conflicts, the gaps and uncertainties, and how those gaps are usually bridged to create safety how the variety of degraded conditions arise, but people keep working to make the system function well despite those degraded conditions, conflicts, and limited resources, uh, and to really understand work as practice and, and see the gap between work as practice and work as imagined. Uh, so that, and, and I think that continues to be one of the you know, major contributions from uh, everybody in this to, to make that a fundamental way people approach complex system safety and proactive safety. It's quite remarkable, too. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how that book grew legs. Uh, uh, well, I, it's, it's very nice to hear that. And again, all I can say is it wasn't obvious along the way that that would be the outcome. And that's the part I think that I find most interesting about you, Dave, is, is how, you, how you kept the, the fortuitous ability, the, the focus to stay in this, because it, it was pretty controversial. Well, um, in the end, we felt we were making progress uh, and it was exciting. 
uh, you know, problems at the intersections of different traditional areas and approaches between theory and practice, different academic disciplines, psychology and engineering and computer science. Uh, that's where the fun was. I mean, it was, in many ways, it was thrilling, and we felt we were getting somewhere. At the same time, it was often frustrating when we ran into barriers and uh, communication breakdowns. Um, and uh, I, I think that is still the story today. What are you thinking about now? I am, uh, I am thinking about uh, what I really am focusing on at this stage is, is uh, in some ways handing the reins over to yet another generation and giving them the best guidance and uh, momentum, build their momentum and direction to be successful moving forward. Um, I don't want people to have to replicate and repeat the findings and results that we have had in the past. We want them to move further because there's plenty of, of new topics and new challenges in proactive safety. Uh, so I want things to progress and move forward. Uh, and I want to um, I want to lay out sort of the fundamental foundations. Uh, I've been doing that over a number of years. First, with the laws that govern cognitive work, um, uh, that there are a bunch of fundamental. Uh, sometimes they're empirical generalizations. Sometimes they're just critical findings that we see over and over again. Uh, but actually, some of these are a much more fundamental character that actually capture the ways that human systems defined most broadly work. The way the adaptive universe functions, and that these are there are fundamental regularities and fundamental properties of the adaptive universe, and I'm trying to put together a theory of graceful extensibility, and it's going to capture those regularities, and that you can use those to understand uh, quite broadly uh, how adaptive systems work and how they break down, and what kinds of interventions will have a value in uh, increasing adaptive capacity and the right kinds of adaptive capacity, uh, and which ones will actually be counterproductive and create the law of unintended consequences where you'll make changes that look good but actually have a lot of offsetting uh, negative consequences. So that's what I would like to do is, is finish up this theory of graceful extensibility. When you talk about graceful extensibility, what do you mean? Well, it's really a, a actually a kind of simple thing, which is, any system defined at any level has limited resources and exists in a changing world. And that means it has boundaries, right? It can, it can handle things up to a point. So as more and more trouble gets thrown at it, more and more change, more and more um, efficiency pressure, it can handle that. But eventually it exhausts its ability to respond. And these are findings, uh, cases we saw in our studies of uh, misadventures in the operating room with anesthesiologists back in the early 90s and, and in other places, in nuclear power. Right? The uh, events cascade and exhaust the capacity. People can't keep pace with the events and the change in events. And so the question is, you need some ability to uh, stretch at the boundaries. The world will throw surprises at your model of how to do work how to be successful, even as you improve on a variety of efficiency and productivity criteria, surprises will still happen. And when you face those surprises, how do you stretch? It will go beyond your standard way of functioning, and you need ways to stretch. And when we study successful groups, we see that stretching or extending in action. Uh, so graceful extensibility comes from a simple combination of graceful degradation Right, uh, So people gracefully degrade machines or brittle at the boundaries. 
and uh, tend to collapse when events go beyond their capabilities or range. Uh, so, uh, but we were much more than just uh, 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 a slow degradation in performance, right? We were actually looking at a positive attribute of adaptive organizations and adaptive teams. And so I took software extensibility and combined it. Software extensibility is the idea when I'm building a software system, I have to build it now in a way that makes it easy to change it down the road when people want to use it in new ways, when it interacts with other kinds of software and other kinds of contexts. So you have to make it, uh, you have to build your software architecture so that you can extend it to work in these new situations over its life cycle. So I put those two together and said uh, resilience in the sense that I'm interested in it is the opposite of brittleness. And the name for that form of resilience is graceful extensibility. That's how you overcome brittleness because brittleness is a boundary effect, right? Doesn't mean any, doesn't say anything about how great or poorly you perform when events stay far from your boundaries. Uh, it tells you what happens at the boundaries. Brittle systems fail rapidly or collapse rapidly when events push them past their boundaries. Graceful extensibility is the property that allows you to keep functioning and, in fact, even to take advantage of those surprises uh, to, uh, in the pursuit of goals. That's a huge paradigm shift, but I find it super intriguing. I mean, Well, I, keep tuned. I'm trying to finish this writing. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't even wait for that to come out because, in my mind, um, that's the most exciting new ideas around creating resilient systems I've heard in a long, long time. How do you um, feel about high reliability, Carl? Uh, Carl's stuff. It, so it's one of the uh, contributors. Yeah, uh, it makes to to our progress. Right, it makes the critical point uh, that uh, open flow of information. Everyone agrees, open flow of information is critical to for proactive safety. Uh, even though that information is about your weaknesses and blemishes as an organization. And organizations that hide that information or try to hold it close to the vest are going to actually undermine their ability to be effective at proactive safety. Um, the high reliability stuff helped us focus on success stories. And it also highlighted resilience. Even though it didn't explain resilience, it highlighted that in the examples of success, there was that commitment to being adaptive. And that's where we've made the progress to understand more about the factors that create the right kinds of adaptive capacities, things that we were really seeing at the beginning 30 years ago. Uh, so we have made progress there. Uh, but And in the end, to really make progress, we have to go beyond a organizational or sociological approach, though. We have to be able to have, take actions that go beyond culture change and attitude surveys. Uh, and that's where we want to go, uh, why we called it resilience engineering, uh, they would be different engineering. It was the kind, but it, in, in, in the end, would have a technical base uh, and an actionable uh, set of tactics, just like other engineering areas that you could put into place. It would be based in part on socio, uh, human uh, uh, social science kinds of findings, but that it really does tell us some um, systematic ways to. What makes the difference between having the right kind of adaptive capacities, that revision example I talked about at the beginning as one case, uh, and how do you sustain those, and what kinds of actions actually undermine that and set you up for failure in the future? 
as an organization operating in a complex world. But in the end, you know, the, 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 the new thing really, I think, comes down to uh, uh, the line um, uh, using in uh, to open a new book, which is failure is due to brittle systems, not erratic components, especially human beings. And in fact, when we find stories of success, we find people in different roles at different levels of the organization adapting, right, to make things work, to close gaps, to create safety. Our job is to support them in that inevitable process of closing the gaps that must arise because all of our systems, despite our best efforts, operate with limited resources in a changing world. So gaps are inevitable. And predictable. Yes, and that helps organizations at the coal front, you know, at the coal face, actually have something to do. Yes, right. I mean, it, it, it's why we said engineering. It wasn't just a science of complex systems. It was that we wanted an engineering, a act, set of actionable tactics organizations can put in place to actually do this. And it's coming to fruition. It's it's happening. You're you're seeing stuff happen, right? We're trying. We're trying real hard. <laughs> And we and we need partners, and we need because uh, this is stuff you can't do in a narrow uh, sense, one team, one uh, one person at a time. You need partners uh, to start to put these programs together, put them into the plays, learn uh, learn the the best tactics, and to share those best tactics with others. And so, lots of people in the field have data that would be valuable for any researcher. And I like the fact that you're pushing us hard to maintain that empirical backbone, to, to stay close to the science, right? Well, and in some ways, that's our, our biggest success over the last 15 years is we have a lot, there's a lot of data about what makes the difference between resilience in action and brittleness and, uh, uh, and unfortunately, brittleness in action. Uh, and understanding that difference, that coal face, as you mentioned, uh, is where I think we've made the most progress. And there's more and more studies and more and more settings coming out, whether it's in an emergency department, uh, an ICU, uh, on and on and on. Uh, we're finding more and more of this stuff. I think we, we really need to use that and get more cases of intervention where we put new tactics into place because we understand the risk of brittleness and some of the sources of resilience. And we need to put in, have more cases where we're putting in a real improvement plan based on these ideas and starting to see which ones make the biggest difference, which ones are sustainable, and how you balance that given the inevitable production pressures that arise. Any final words to the population that will enjoy this amazing podcast? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's keep going. I mean, the, the proactive safety is an important agenda. Uh, it's a technical agenda. It's a it's a human systems and social agenda, not just a engineering agenda. Uh, but in the end, it is something that's really valuable for human beings and all of the different systems that we create, all the different services that we provide. Uh, people create these for human purposes and and to serve human purposes, regardless of the level of technology or automation or autonomy. And so creating proactive safety is really quite a, uh, a way to, to balance all of the sciences and essentially a moral case for how, how to make systems work to serve people and not harm them. To serve people and not harm them, a moral case. Wow. 
Can you imagine? I can't even imagine what we just went through over the past two weeks on this podcast. How much? I mean, this is truly a master class, um, and it just is. It's a master class. It's, in a way, it feels like going back to first principles. We're going back to sort of the origins, but we got more than the origins. We got that path forward as well. And my challenge to you is how do we think about this really not in safety, but within all of our operations, no matter what we do? Because the crazy thing about this new view is that it's really not just about safety because we're starting to really figure out, and the workers had this years ago, but we're starting to figure out that really all these things come together at the worker. And what we do is create systems where we understand those limits or or we know that systems have limits and we understand how to manage the complexity at the edges of those limits. That, my friend, is what we talk about all the time. And it brings in kind of every other podcast. Now, all of a sudden, Ivan Puppelitty talking about margins and learning or Bob Edwards talking about sort of the voice of the worker. Those things become really significant. Bill Rigo talking about the way he understands failure. Those things all take their origin in really what David Woods has done and his associates, um, Eric Hallnagel, James Reason, name them the greatest hits, Sidney Decker. Those guys have done a tremendous amount of heavy lifting to get us to where we are today. And it just seemed like the right thing to do. And to break it into two podcasts, I mean, it does – a couple things for us. One is there clearly is the historic view and then the look forward view. So the split was pretty natural. Two is that it allows for that soak time. It allows you to listen to part one several times before you go into part two. And then three, because you ought to know this, it actually checks off two podcasts on my list. And I don't know if you've thought about this, but it's kind of a lot of work for something uh, to come out every week on time, every time. Uh, I have to kind of keep ahead of it. I enjoy it immensely, and it's the one thing I can give to the world, and it's the one way we can build this community that we talk about. And that's really what this is about. I'm starting to think maybe it's a circus, the the, the circus of New View people. I'm fine with that as well. In fact, that doesn't even bother me. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends. Let's see if we can get thousands and thousands of hits on these. I, I don't want to let these two just... Just stay with us. I think we owe the world an opportunity to hear these um, all around. And whatever you do, if you're a safety person or a DevOps person or software person or aviation or medical or management or mining or holy cow, the list is giant of what you guys do. I think this is helpful information. Thanks for your time. As always, we'll have more to talk about, I'm sure. But until then, I hope you learned something new every single day. I bet you did today. Let's just add two words, graceful extensibility. Have as much fun as you can possibly squeeze into that job. And for goodness sakes, be safe.